1: walking the path with the buddha today is our group learning program and we do meditation each wednesday to encourage support and motivate each other in our meditation practice this is also a time for you to ask any and all questions that you like related to the path to enlightenment to help you in your journey to get to enlightenment so i'd like to welcome all of you and at the same time invite you to join us for class today That we're going to start first with this guided breathing mindfulness meditation, and then afterwards I'll open up to any and all questions that you guys might have, whether it's related to meditation or any other aspect of your journey to enlightenment. You'll be able to put those questions into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, and I'll be able to see your questions in the comment section. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. So I'm really glad that you're here today, and let's go ahead and get started with our meditation. If you're sitting on the floor or sitting in a chair, you would like to have your lower body nice and comfortable. If you're on the floor, that might mean you have some cushions under your rear in order to get you up into the air. This lessens the angle at the hips, the knees, and the ankles. If you're on a chair, you might just have your feet flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. The hands and the arms, you can put the right hand over the left and the thumbs together. This is the way that the Buddha did it and put it into his lap but remember that this practice isn't about everybody doing it exactly the same so all of this guidance on your body positioning is just to help you get comfortable so if you like to have your right hand over your left with your thumbs together go ahead and do that but there's other options as well like putting your palms on your thighs the knees. Some people like to put their palms up. And if you're in a chair, you might even just rest your arms on the armrest of the chair. It's really up to you. You would like the lower body and hands and arms to be comfortable, not luxurious and not painful, but comfortable. The upper body, you would like it to be erect. If it was slouched, the mind would have a tendency to be complacent. Whereas if the upper body was real rigid and uptight, the mind would have a tendency to be overactive, or perhaps with anxiety. So you would like the upper body to be erect. This keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation so that you can do the actual training. Next, you can just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here, you're just working to establish the breath. I'm gonna do some chanting to ease us into meditation. You're welcome to join along with these chants. If you don't chant, you can just sit with the breath and start developing a nice, natural breath. And I'll be back after the chanting to provide some guidance to help you get further into your meditation.
2: ARAHANG SAMA SAMU TOI Sawaka to makilata mo damang namasa me so pati pano Sanghang nama ini, nampak rasabak waktu, arah waktu semua semputasa, nampak Ara tos masa putasa nap mohsapako ato
1: Ara
2: tos masa putasa. KITI PISO MAHAKAWA ARAKHANG SAMA SAMUTO WICHA CHARANANG SAMUNO SAKATO RUKAWITO Anutero Purisa Nama Sati Satatawa Manusana Puto Bhagavati
1: You should just be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here you're just looking to establish the breath. A nice, natural, steady, consistent breath. Not forced or controlled. Just a gradual inhale through the nose. Experiencing the full breath. And whenever you're ready, exhale out through the nose. A nice, natural, steady exhale. Breathing in and out. Breathing in. In out. You'd like to take a nice deep breath through the nose establishing the breath. Not forced or controlled just a gradual inhale experiencing the full breath. And when you're ready exhale out through the nose. Your breath may not match up to the guidance that I'm providing, and that's okay. This is your practice. I'm just here to guide you and remind you to breathe in and out. Breathing in. In out. Once the breath is established, start fixating the mind on the breath. Either the sound of the breath coming into the nose or the sensation of air moving over the skin into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath the present moment. Breathing in, in out, breathing in, in out. with the mind fixated on the breath, the present moment. Whenever you notice that the mind moves off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to observe the thought, label it, judge it, analyze it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Wherever you notice that the mind is moved off the breath, Cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. in, out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath, cutting off and letting go anytime the mind moves off the breath. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath, breathing in, in, out.
2: samasamvato maka pano imha kawato saw Put ATI PISO EMHAKYAVA ARAKHANG SAMMA SAMU TO VICHA CHARANANG SAMU NO SAKARANANG Would like
1: to slowly make your way out of meditation i'd like to once again welcome all of you guys whether you joined us at the beginning of meditation or you've joined us since we started welcome and i would like to let you know that the way that i guide this particular class is we do a meditation at the very beginning but then i open up to any and all questions that you guys might like to ask you can put those into facebook youtube or zoom and i'll see those in the comment section Or you can raise your hand in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Oh, here we go. We got some questions in Zoom. So, okay. It looks like Christine, yours is first. Go ahead if you'd like to ask your questions.
3: Hello, teacher David. Thank you for this opportunity to ask. I have a question on pleasant feelings. or I'm not even sure if it's unpleasant feelings. I'm going to explain. Um, So I noticed um, that I am a lot more mindful uh, in general. If I have a beautiful environment it kind of helps me to remind myself to not get lost in thoughts. Um, It's like right now I'm living here in Thailand and it it helps me to just see uh, the beauty of nature Um, to to remember that I I should not be in the future and I should not be in the past right now. I just should be here and actually uh, enjoy this this very moment Um, and I noticed the difference very strongly when I was uh, back in Germany visiting my family and there were different factors but I also noticed that one factor for me to, to, to get lost in future planning or Um, just uh, thinking about all kinds of things would be a lot more happening because I was just inside all day and there was was basically nothing that would have been like, it felt that felt worse for me to actually stop thinking. And I'm pretty sure it should not be that way. But is it legitimate to use it in that way until I have built up the mindfulness um, so that it's always there?
1: Right. If you're noticing a certain environment is really conducive to your practice of developing the mind towards enlightenment, the Buddha talks about this as being a place that you should stay. He talks about selecting a location to live. And he says that if you have a place that you're living where it's very challenging to acquire the basic needs to sustain your life, and you're not able to cultivate your mind, He says, you should leave this location pretty much immediately, very soon. Then he says, if you have a place where it's easy to acquire the basic needs for sustaining your life, like food, water, clothing, things like this, shelter, but you're not able to cultivate your mind, he says, you should leave this location at your next opportunity. And then he says, if you have a place where it's difficult to obtain the basic necessities to sustain your life and it's straightforward to cultivate your mind and you have the ability to cultivate your mind he says this is a place that you can stay at for a while essentially but then he says this fourth location where it's very easy to sustain your life and acquire the basic needs that you need and you can cultivate your mind he says you should stay at this place pretty much indefinitely is what he talks about so as you see various opportunities, whether it's in Germany or whether it's here in Thailand or maybe a certain place in Thailand or other places. If you find that place where it's easy to sustain your life and that you're able to cultivate your mind, this is the ideal place to live. Oftentimes we look for all these other erroneous things in order to say that this is where I would like to live or this is where I'd like to be. But if you understand the peace and the joy of the enlightened mind and what that is and that this is the whole goal of to escape all of this discontentedness and escape this cycle of rebirth, then you can really prioritize is what do I really need? I need to sustain my life and make sure that it's straightforward and easy for me to do. And I need to cultivate my mind. I need to be at a place where it's conducive to me cultivating the mind. So having that established in your life and knowing where that is and being able to live in that location that's ideal for you and each person's going to be different you know for me here in chiang mai is perfect because The cost of sustaining our life is very low comparative where I used to live. And the ability to cultivate your mind here is substantial because there's so many millions of practitioners that are practicing these teachings. You have lots of people around you to be able to kind of model your practice after. So this was the ideal place for me. But everybody's going to have a different environment and different decision making. But oftentimes we look for so many other things that we just stack up these cravings or these expectations of what we want out of a place to live that we oftentimes get lost in the shuffle but if you just look at what do i need to sustain my life and what do i need in order to cultivate my mind and you find that that's where the buddha and i would suggest that you decide that that's where you would like to live
3: Thank you very much. I actually remember this class when you taught this. I just couldn't make the connection that this would actually be a positive thing. I always considered it a positive thing for me because it made me feel so much better uh, to be more present. Mm-hmm. But then I kind of almost felt I, I should be able to be present no matter where I am. So it's really good to hear uh, that I can use this um, as long as I need it basically.
1: Yes. Ultimately, as your mind gets to enlightenment, you'll be able to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy no matter where you're at. The mind will be able to reside in the present moment firmly. But leading up to that, the mind is kind of shaky. You know, In the unenlightened state, it's got all these different pollutions and it's kind of shaky. So the way that I describe it is it's like that piece of steel that you've heard me talk about, that there's a piece of wood on the ground or on the table and you take this piece of steel and you grind it back and forth and grow it back and forth and as you first start grinding man that steel can pop out so easily but as you get going with this back and forth and back and forth and you do it enough The groove in the wood gets so deep that the steel won't pop out. Or if it does pop out, it's very hard to pop out. And when it does pop out, you notice it right away and you can easily bring it back. So the unenlighted mind is that way, that you'd like to get it into a groove. And if there's a certain place that provides basic necessities and that's easy for you to sustain your life and you're able to cultivate your mind in that place, then cultivate your mind really well in that place. And then that's like the steel getting deeper and deeper and deeper into the groove. And then as you're nearing closer and closer to enlightenment, you're going to need to travel. You're going to need to move around and kind of put the mind in some different experiences. Because if you live in this little bubble, that's not enlightenment. You know, you might feel pretty enlightened when you live in this little bubble. But as you get closer to enlightenment and you start noticing you're getting three months without any discontentedness and six months without any discontentedness, this is the time to start moving the mind around in different environments so that now you can flush out any residual cravings, desires, attachments that may exist that are just maybe not getting triggered when you're in your little bubble. So you'd like to get outside of that. But getting to that point is really helpful so that's why you'd like to get that groove in the mind so if you bounce around too quick moving around too frequently then you never really get a chance to get into that groove and really establish your practice but ultimately you will be able to go anywhere anytime and the way that you get this started is you get it started with your meditation practice right like maybe you might be meditating at home and for six weeks eight weeks maybe three months you're noticing that your meditation practice is getting really well established and really steady and now that you notice there's been some steadiness in the mind You start moving your practice around. You might go to the park, or I know you live near the beach, perhaps. Since you live on an island, you might go to the beach. You might go to a temple or different temples, and you move around at different times. You still keep your foundation at your own home where you're meditating there at least once or twice a day to ensure that you're continuing to make progress. But then you take the mind out into other environments at different times, so you get some impermanence. You get different lighting, you get different sounds, you get different environment, you get different where you're gonna either be sitting or standing or lying or walking or something like this. So you'd like to introduce some impermanence to the mind And when you go to those other places, most likely your meditation practice isn't going to be as steady and isn't going to be as stable as it is at home. But as you go to those places regularly, you'll start stabilizing. And then as you are able to move the mind around in these different places, you'll get to the point where you can meditate anywhere, anytime. And now you've stabilized your mind because you can meditate at home you can meditate at the park you can meditate at any temple you can meditate in the mountains on the beach and you've been able to stabilize your meditation practice like this by moving it around and then you do the same thing where your living environment or any other aspect of your practice where you're noticing that the mind has a tendency to do the same thing over and over and over again you'd like to introduce some impermanence. And I shared something with you. I don't mind sharing it publicly as well that at one time I noticed my mind was attached to a particular type of underwear. This is what the mind can actually do and it can have so many minuscule attachments and the more mindfulness you have you can be aware of this that i have these cotton underwear and i have these kind of neoprene underwear that i buy here in thailand and the cotton ones are from america and i noticed whenever i go to sleep i would wear the cotton ones and that was kind of the thing that i did well of course because of impermanence the cotton ones weren't available one particular night and i wore the neoprene ones and i had a really hard time falling asleep because The mind was experiencing contact in the body that it wasn't used to this was impermanence so then i had a really difficult time sleeping and i had to you know work through this and get to the point where i could sleep with any particular underwear no matter what the fabric so as you observe that the mind is trying to hold on to foods or fabrics or relationships or a certain rigid schedule in your day certain place to meditate any of these kind of things You'd like to get established so that you can observe what's going on in your practice and then start introducing some impermanence so the mind can no longer hold on to it. And this is where things get shaken up in your practice a little bit. And that's okay. Because if you kept holding on to things, like if I kept trying to ensure that those cotton underwear were always available, they're not always going to be available if I'm just holding on to the cotton underwear. So I needed to introduce this so that no matter where i go what i do the mind's liberated from this and then what you'll notice is as you're getting rid of each one of these cravings desires attachments you're going to get more focus in the mind more concentration more clarity deeper memory because when the mind is burdened with any kind of cravings as silly as some of these are then it's polluted and it's burdened with that and it's not functioning optimally so as you're letting go of these cravings the mind will start functioning more optimally and you'll see that concentration clarity deep memory and the focus will come in and now this will benefit you in all parts of your life
3: thank you very much this mm-hmm. yeah it's really clear the way you explained it mm-hmm. um if there is no other question, I would actually like to ask another question. But if there is another one, let's
1: take them first. Sure. And one thing I would like to say on this topic too, Christine, is um, it's like a methodology. If you've ever been in business or you've ever done kind of system planning or something like this, usually you have certain best practices or certain methodologies or a certain process that you follow in business. Well, once you learn how to observe your cravings And identify them and then start putting together a plan and introducing some impermanence and you get success with this on a few of your cravings it's a matter of just repeating this process over and over and over again where you observe your cravings because discontentedness is there to show you what your cravings are you notice those with mindfulness, you start to identify them and build that skill to identify them. Then you put a plan together in order to introduce some impermanence. And then when you see your mind's liberated from that craving, you just repeat this over and over and over again with all the different individual cravings that you notice as you're going through your day. And you start plucking these away and you start shedding them off like the layers of an onion. And eventually you get to the core of the onion and it's empty, right? It's the same thing with the mind. As you peel this away, eventually you get to nothingness or emptiness in the mind where the mind has been completely liberated of its pollutions. And you just apply this same methodology over and over and over again. So it looks like Kimberly has her hand up. Oh, Christine, did you have a follow-up question or something that you would like to say there? Ah,
3: Thank you. Um, First of all, I wanna thank you because just intru- introducing the impermanence whenever there is a craving, desire attachment. There was, I think that was the missing piece of the puzzle for me to really see the whole process clearly mm. lined up. So thank you for that. And then, no, my question is not really a follow-up question. So let's take the other question first.
1: Sure, sounds good. That's very polite of you. So Kimberly, if you'd like to go ahead with your question.
3: Yes, hello, David. And thank you, Christine. Um, my question is, the chant that we open Wednesday with, is there somewhere where we can view that and learn it so that we can participate with you?
1: Absolutely. So there's a few places. You can look in Volume 1, Chapter 11. It's in there it's also on the website if you go to free books it has all the resources there not just books but towards the bottom there's a one page front and back that you can print out and have available in your meditation area so those are two places you can see it printed in the translations as well so it has the poly in the english translations then if you look on the podcast and or the youtube channel I have recordings where I've just recorded the chanting. It's like a two and a half minute chant. It's just me chanting and that's it. So if you would like to practice this on your own with the printed version, you can have you know earphones in or you can have a speaker going where you play the chant with me chanting it and you chanting along. So you can be practicing this. And then you can also be practicing it here, of course, in the classes as well. So the combination of seeing it in print Using the recorded resources to practice and then practicing in class, you'll be able to gradually build up your practice to the point where you'll be able to chant as well.
3: Oh, great. Thank you so much.
1: Yes, you're welcome. I see some questions here in Zoom. Let's see. It looks like Amber's asking a question. It says, I have been doing breathing mindfulness meditation in earnest for a couple of months. Can you speak a little on if, how, or when loving kindness Meditation should be introduced. Okay, so once your breathing mindfulness meditation practice is well established, this is a good time to bring in loving kindness meditation. What I usually recommend is a minimum of about four, six, or eight weeks, somewhere around there. That's usually where people's meditation practice gets pretty stabilized with breathing mindfulness meditation. But each person's different. You know, it could be shorter, it could be longer. So if you're feeling like You have a tendency to meditate regularly that you understand how to do breathing mindfulness meditation you have got your breath well established you can do it even without guidance then this is a good time to bring in loving kindness meditation because you're already understanding how to do breathing mindfulness meditation your mind is settled with it because when someone first starts learning they might not have been meditating at all or they might not have been meditating with breathing mindfulness meditation, the way that the Buddha teaches it and the way that I teach it. So when you start up your meditation practice, this is impermanence to the mind. And the unrelated mind doesn't like impermanence. It craves permanence. It doesn't like change. So you bring in that first bit of impermanence to the mind, which is breathing mindfulness meditation. And you get acclimated with that and you bring your practice up, whether it's four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks or longer, Every person's going to be a bit different. And then when you feel like it's pretty well established, then you can bring in the loving kindness. And now this is some more impermanence to the mind, and it's going to take it a bit of time to get stabilized with this. And then out of those two or three sessions per day, I recommend at least one be loving kindness. And that way you have the loving kindness. And as you know, there's a little bit of breathing mindfulness at the beginning and end of that with the loving kindness in the middle. All right. So let's see what else we've got here. Thank you, Max, for sharing all of those links. That's very nice of you. Okay. You're welcome, Amber. Let me see if we have any on YouTube or Facebook. looks like YouTube, we have a question with Bruce. Do you have any advice for people who are learning the Buddhist teachings but have a spouse who is not interested in learning the teachings? Interrupting during meditation and reading happens a lot. Okay. So you're going to be interrupted sometimes, Bruce, during meditation and reading, right? Because that's impermanence. If you're noticing any kind of irritation or annoyance or anything like that, that's the mind craving to study, craving to be meditating. So you need to get to the point where you're not getting discontent during that time frame. But then also, it does help that if you're noticing that there's frequent interruptions, that you can do things to kind of let people know that you're meditating. And the way that you do that is if you're meditating and people keep interrupting you, whether it's your spouse or children or what have you, and it's just like, you know, insignificant things, don't break from your meditation. Maybe you have broken from your meditation a few times and you've checked in with what they have and it's insignificant. You can just decide to stay in your meditation and not break. Even if they're there and they're like, dad, honey, or what have you, right? And they're trying to get your attention, just continue to stay unless they're like the house is burning, there's a tornado coming. Unless it's something like that, if they're just like calling your name, then you know that they don't have anything significant. If it was significant, they would let you know like, hey, there's a tornado coming or we've got a fire in the garage and we need your help. They're going to let you know that. But otherwise, if it's very insignificant, which it most likely will be, just stay in your meditation. This is really good to train your mind to be able to stay focused on the breath even though people are coming in and asking you things. Eventually what will happen is they will learn themselves that when dad's meditating or when my partner's meditating, he's not going to break from his meditation. So it doesn't even make sense for me to go in there and try to get his attention. So that's one of the things that you can do. You can even let your family know as a heads up if you'd like prior to that, or you can just do it. You can just do it and they'll just gradually come to the wisdom on their own. Or you can let them know like, hey guys, by the way, just to let you know when I'm meditating, if it's not something urgent, like the house is burning or there's a tornado coming, I'm not going to break from my meditation. I know that you guys come in and you have different things that you're asking for, but I'm not going to break from my meditation. It's really important for me to stay in my meditation. Now, if you do that, that's kind of telling people what you're doing, a little bit of, you know, maybe putting your expectations out there. You're not necessarily interested in that. So that's why I suggest the first one. And actually, the first one is better for your training because as you're focused on your breath and people are coming in, these are really helping you. Because as you hear the door, as they're speaking to you, you've got to get to the point where you let go and you maintain your practice of focusing on the breath. And same thing with reading. You know, you might decide to go to your partner and say, hey, I'm going to go read now. I'm going to need, you know, 30 minutes or I need however minute time. If you guys have something important, can we go ahead and talk about that now? Is there anything that we can discuss? And then you know, you discuss whatever you need to discuss and then say, all right, guys, we'll see you later. I'm going to go read now. You know, people start realizing that you're creating this space for yourself without trying to dictate to them, okay, when I'm reading, do not come in and bother me, right? This is like setting down rules where instead you can be proactive with it and just let them know that you're going to go read. Is there anything that you can do for them? Is there any thing that they need your attention for and then when they're like nope, we don't need you. Okay, boom, you, you let them know that you're you know going to go read and then this creates a bit more space for you. And then more and more you won't have to do that because they just get used to you going off into somewhere to read because you've kind of been proactive with it for a few times this way. In terms of other things, these are the two examples that you gave, but in terms of having a partner that isn't practicing, there's surely things that you can learn and understand about how to practice with a partner that isn't practicing. And I taught a class on this during our retreat series. It's on YouTube, and you should be able to find it there, that you're practicing in a world of the unknowing. That's what the title of that class is, understanding how to develop your practice with people Who aren't on the path to enlightenment so if you can't find that you can let me know or i have a feeling max might jump into youtube and find it for you and but uh you know it's right there on a playlist in uh, youtube and you should be able to find it there because there's more than just a few Things that you need to be aware of, there's multiple things that you need to be aware of if you're gonna be in a relationship as a life partner with someone who's not practicing these teachings because they're gonna be thinking about the world completely different than you. They're gonna be processing the world completely different to you. When they get angry or frustrated or irritated, they're gonna be interested in blaming other people. They're not gonna understand right view. They might even blame you. When you're practicing true love, love without attachment, Then if they're viewing love as holding on and that when you go away or when they go away that you should miss them but you don't miss them and you know your wife might call you up and say honey have you missed me since you've been away and you're like no I haven't right? And this can be really impactful for them because they're viewing that feeling of missing them is coming from the love when you know that it's coming from the craving, desire, attachment. So there's a lot of ways to skillfully work with a partner and help them to understand a bit without them necessarily sitting down in a class or reading a book. There's skillful ways to help them understand a bit of the four noble truths and love without attachment and these kinds of things so as you develop your wisdom about the path you can then more skillfully help your partner without them necessarily even realizing what you're doing so i suggest that you take a look at that recorded class and then as you have questions or you have specific situations that you're challenged with In your relationship you can reach out to me and get personal guidance and i will help you with very specific situations but if you take in the recorded content first then we can go from there and that will give us a, a better foundation in which to build off of all right so thank you for all those questions it looks like it's back to you christine if you guys don't have any more questions actually hold on one second here we've got one on Facebook. Sorry about that, Christine. During the meditation, my head feels tight and heavy. Is this normal? This can happen occasionally. So as you're training the mind, there's effect to the brain. The brain and the mind are two different things. We're focused on training the mind, but there's a connection between the mind and the brain and scientists and doctors and researchers have been able to see now with modern technology like MRIs, CAT scans and other things, that as meditators are training their mind, it's affecting the brain and it's affecting it in a positive way. There's physical changes that are happening to the brain. So this is very normal. And if this is occurring, this is actually a very good sign that you're meditating in a proper method in that they're starting to be effects to the brain. Eventually, you'll get over these effects because they're not permanent. You can experience what you're experiencing, which is you mentioning tightening and heaviness of the head. You can also experience where it feels like your head is expanding and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Some people describe it like an elephant's head. I even heard certain changes happening in the brain. I heard like at different times as I was meditating. So there's all these different things that you can experience. You can even experience different colors and different visual things, even though your eyes are closed. So as these are occurring, just know that they're normal and continue to meditate and continue to do what you're doing because it's working. So if you're doing the meditation the way that the Buddha taught, which is what I'm teaching you, this can have a profound effect on the mind. And I know that you've already been practicing a bit of these teachings even before you started learning with me because you're just starting to learn with me. So your practice has already got a certain amount of development to it. And now that you're starting to get the true teachings of the Buddha from the words of the Buddha, now you're going to notice even more significant improvements as you're meditating and practicing all the other teachings based on the original words of the Buddha. So yes, thank you for that question as well. So Christine, if you would like to go forward with your question, looks like we have all the ones Mm -hmm. currently from YouTube and Facebook, and I'll check with those again after Christine's questions.
3: Thank you. Um, So I have a question on hobbies. I think this question is as old as I am because I used to be like, almost like a workaholic. I really used to love to work. And I, I think that was the, one of the huge cravings that I, I managed to um, let go. Um, and I filled my life with a lot more hobbies. Like I started painting again and I started dancing and I, 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 in general, have a lot more free time. But my mind, and I'm not sure if this is still a sign of my uh, addiction to work, uh, is often just thinking, well, it should not make a difference in how I feel if I'm actually painting or doing something creative or if I'm working. And then I, my mind is kind of going in the direction. It should not make a difference in how, how I feel at all what I'm actually doing. But it does. It does make a huge difference if I if I insert some social contacts or if I insert some creative uh obese into my day or if I'm just, uh, behind my laptop all day. But I, I, I just, I, I'm pretty sure it is not normal, but I cannot grasp it why it is like that.
1: Are you meaning that you're enjoying some activities more than others, or what do you mean that you're noticing a difference in the mind?
3: Um, if I work all day, um, Well, the mind can also be like, just enjoying the productivity. Um, But overall, if I do this for longer stretches of time, which I don't do anymore, um, the mind becomes discontent. Um, Yeah, rather quickly. Um, And whereas if I have a balance of uh, creative things and uh, social life and work, I have a lot more stability in my mind. And I just would like to understand why is that? Why can it make a difference to the mind what I'm actually doing? It, it, I mean, ultimately should not make a difference,
2: right?
1: Yeah, so what sounds like it's going on is that when you're working uh, an extensive amount of hours, there's craving, desire, attachment there that's leading to discontentedness. The mind's not in the middle. You're not practicing the middle way. But when you start balancing out your life with a bit of work and these other creative activities and hobbies, your mind is more in the middle. And now that's why you're experiencing improved results there. And that's there to show you where the middle is. When you get to the middle, you'll feel the peace. You'll feel the joy. You'll feel like your life is balanced. When you're complacent and if you're maybe just sitting around doing nothing, your mind's going to be dull and lethargic. But if you're craving things and you're chasing after things, this is where you're going to also experience discontentedness because. The mind is just chasing, 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 and it can only be happy when it gets what it wants. It's only when you start moving to the middle that you'll notice this peace and joy and this enjoyment of life. It almost feels like the sun has risen up. It almost feels like a flower has bloomed. It feels like you're stepping into the sunlight. And wow, life is so fulfilling and so satisfying. And you just need to Figure out how to continue to keep your life balanced on a day by day basis where you're not just engrossing yourself in work and just nose to the grindstone, but you're also not complacent either. Whereas if you do need to go through certain periods of more work, just be sure to balance it out that maybe you work two or three hours and then maybe you take a little bit of a break and then you work another two or three hours and you take a bit of a break. So when you get to the middle, you'll feel that peace and that joy that comes into the mind because you're not pursuing things with craving, desire, attachment. In fact, if you're ever sitting down and doing some work, like say on a computer or I don't know 100% of what you're doing in your work, but if you're noticing that the mind is craving and long like, gosh, I just got to push through this. I got to get it done. I got to get it done. That's the mind craving and you shouldn't allow it to do that. You're trying to rewire the mind. The mind is wired to push, 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 push. That's the craving, desire, attachment. Where you see the mind doing that, you would like to get up and go take a little walk. Just go in the bathroom and like wash your hands or get a drink. Just break that pulling that the mind's doing or the yearning and longing. You'd like to break that cycle where you no longer let the mind fire that way. That you're rewiring the mind. That where you see it wanting to long and yearn, you're restraining it and taking it back and pulling it back and saying, no, I'm not going to let you do this. Even if you just get up for three minutes and walk around and then come back and sit back down with more composure where you're not allowing the mind to push, 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 push. This is really good because when the mind's firing like that and it's in that state of craving, you would like to revert that. You would like to not allow the mind to continue in that direction. You'd like to shake that up and Sometimes just getting up and going to the bathroom to wash your hands or getting a little sip of water or going outside and taking a couple of breaths of fresh air is all you need to then sit back down and allow the mind to now not crave and take it a more consistent approach. And you're probably going to need to do that multiple times before the mind just stops craving in these types of situations. Because what you're doing is you're trying to train the mind. You're trying to re-educate the mind so that it can learn how to work without craving, right? Because you're going to need to work at different times and you're going to need to apply your effort to various projects. But where you see the mind pushing, 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 you're like, no, I need to re-educate you here. I need to teach you how to consistently and peacefully with calmness and composure work through a particular project or assignment without this craving, desire, attachment.
3: Yeah, thank you. This is exactly what I'm doing, and I, I, it took me a long time, but um, I don't have this craving anymore now. I'm really glad that I don't. Uh, I was just, yeah, I think I'm mostly wondering why do I even need all these hobbies? But apparently, I need them to balance, to balance it out. Um, so, so even if uh, even an enlightened being would still have hobbies and pursue them just out of interest, right?
1: Yeah, I think that most people do. For me, I spend a significant amount of time sharing these teachings, of course. But then, you know, I enjoy spending time with my son, with my wife. That's kind of like what I do if I'm not helping all of you in some way, whether it's in Facebook or at the temple or making a YouTube video or something like this. I'm usually spending time with my family. The hobbies that I used to do, those are long in the past, but I see my wife and I would consider her either enlightened or very close to enlightenment. I see her gardening. I see her going to the gym. I see her doing yoga. I see her doing all these kinds of things, going out with friends and people like this. I don't do as much of that stuff because I'm really focused on sharing the teachings, but I'm not sharing the teachings out of craving. Sometimes when we think about hobby, we think about it as not being necessarily too dedicated or serious with it, and it's something that comes and goes. But me helping people to learn and practice these teachings, this is what I'm interested in doing with the rest of my life. I've done all the hobbies and all the different things, and I'm past all of that. But there's no harm in having hobbies. It's just that I prioritize my time to dedicate to helping people learn and practice these teachings where other enlightened beings are not necessarily sharing these teachings as a teacher, they might be doing things like my wife. She's a massage therapist, she gardens, she's a mom, she reads herself, investigates the teachings, she exercises, she does yoga, she spends time with friends, all these different things. So you can certainly have hobbies and be enlightened, but you might notice that these hobbies will come and go. If you have a certain craving to do a hobby, You might do that for a period of time and then realize like, yeah, I'm not interested in that one anymore. I'm going to do this one over here. So you might notice that these come and go. Sometimes we feel like when we have a hobby, we need to stay dedicated to it for the rest of our life where that would be permanent. So if you notice that you have things that come and go in and out of your life, this is completely normal. And don't feel like you have to hold on to any one particular thing. And one of the beautiful things about living in Thailand that you may be aware of, or you may not be, is that they're really well set up for people to extinguish cravings. So for example, like you can rent a piano In Thailand for like $30 a month you know they'll come and deliver it to your house set it up for you and then it's there right and then when you're done you just call them up and say hey come pick up your piano I'm done with it right so you don't have to go out and buy it or if you are interested in rollerblading you can just go somewhere and they have all the supplies there you just rent it and then you rollerblade for a while and then you give them back or any other number of things whether it's a musical instrument or painting or any number of things. Thailand is set up really well for this, where when I lived in America, if you would like to do these kinds of things, you have to purchase. So it takes a lot of time to build up the resources, then you have to purchase it, and then you feel like, gosh, I spent all this money on it, I better do it for a really long time. And then if you give it up, you kind of maybe feel a bit guilty or shameful that you've spent the money and then you've now sold this new thing for such a low price where here in Thailand, you can just rent things so easily and use it for two or three, four five months. And then when you're done, maybe it was a craving, maybe it wasn't. If it was a craving, you can just give it back. If it wasn't a craving and you tend to stay with it for a really long time, then you can transition to purchasing your own if that's what you would like to do. So there's all these opportunities with hobbies and activities whether it's here in Thailand, and I'm sure other countries as well, where you can rent things. And then that way you can extinguish these cravings more readily or decide that, hey, this is a hobby that I would like to partake in for an extended period of time.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, I did not know that you can rent a piano, but that's great. Wow.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure about Copenhagen, but here in Chiang Mai, you surely can. <laughs> <laughs> All right, looks like we have a question here from Max, Uh, says, Teacher David, as you know, my current work and family situation is quite hectic with my wife and I being separated. She's working out of state and only comes into town a couple times a month as I work full time and raise my four-year-old twins. I don't have a lot of time to live a balanced life, and I don't get to have a great practice free time for my hobbies and house chores, etc. Do you have any advice? Yeah, what I would suggest is understand that where you are in life right now isn't permanent. Your children are four years old. They require a lot of attention and supervision and time with them. As they age, they're going to become more and more independent. In there, that's going to give you more time to be able to attend to your own practice. So you tend to be very regular with classes. That's outstanding. And of course, your meditation practice, you would like to build that up. But one of the ways to help your children become more and more independent is help them to eliminate attachment. So where you see they're attached to you or they're attached to a particular thing, you can teach them to be able to play on their own, for example, without necessarily being attached to you. Or while they're playing, perhaps in the living room, you can be they're doing your meditation, even if they're banging drums and they're throwing things across the room or what have you. Just like I was sharing with Bruce, this can help you to introduce some impermanence into your meditation, where now when you hear these sounds and you hear what's going on, as long as nobody's life is at danger, you can maintain your meditation practice of focusing on the breath and this will help you to get more established and get the mind more steady because you can meditate when it's quiet and everybody's asleep but you can also meditate when there's different noises and things like this going on in the home as well and this will be really helpful for your meditation practice so don't feel like your children have to be absolutely still and quiet and sleeping for you to meditate. Because by that time, you're probably pretty tired and you're ready to just relax and get some rest. So sometimes while they're playing, you can be there meditating as well. And then as they age and you help them get rid of attachments, you'll start getting more and more time. You know, by the time they're six and eight and so forth, they're going to start being a bit more independent and you can teach them to do that and then you'll get more time for yourself. So just understand where you're at now isn't permanent and where you can get time to meditate and read and learn and things like this, you'll take it. But then, of course, you know that certain things you're going to need to attend to your children. And same thing with hobbies and activities and stuff. I think this is how I shed a lot of my hobbies and activities because when my son came along, all of that stuff kind of went by the wayside. So as you decide that maybe you don't need to prioritize hobbies and activities right now, maybe your priority is raising your children. And then perhaps as they age, you might decide to get back into other hobbies. But for right now, maybe this is where you're at and you just need to really focus on guiding your children and helping them in life and you're maybe putting some of your hobbies on the side but i do notice through your facebook that you tend to take your children with you to purchase motorcycles and things like this and i imagine they're enjoying that and learning from that so involving them in some of this stuff too can be another way that you can be spending time with your family and also attending to your practice and then also remember that your practice is more than just meditation it's all those steps, because meditation is one step. So that when you're out there purchasing a new motorcycle and you're working on right intention, right speech, right action, and you've purified your livelihood perhaps, you are practicing the teachings even when you're out there doing that. Or when your children are in the car with you and maybe they're talking back and forth and a little bit loud and you're driving down the street and you might speak up and say, you know, excuse me, could you guys just quiet down a bit? Dad's driving. I need to focus on driving. And you're doing this very calm and very patiently. This is part of your practice as well, where maybe at other times in your life you might have been a bit more aggressive or a little bit more bitter, where now you're starting to learn how to not do that. So look at your practice as being all-encompassing rather than just meditation by itself. That even when you go out to 7-Eleven and you're making a purchase at a cashier, This is part of your practice. You're smiling. You're saying hello. You're saying thank you. You're showing appreciation. Uh, When you go to a restaurant and you're ordering food and maybe you leave a tip, this is part of your practice too. This is your generosity. So at all points in your day, you're practicing the teachings. Every breath, every moment. It's not just meditation by itself. All right. You're welcome, Max. So let me circle back through here on some of our other platforms. I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce your name. My Olay. I think this is a Lao or Cambodian name. I'm not sure how to pronounce your name, but you're welcome. Very pleased to help you. All right. So it looks like we've got all of our questions answered from the live streaming platforms as well as Zoom. Christine, I see your hands up. Was that just left over from before?
3: Well, uh, only if we we still have time. I've had a small question left.
1: Sure, you can ask Um, as many questions as you like.
3: Thank you. Um, So, I started practicing generosity uh, with money as we discussed it, uh, by just giving the little tip. And um, yeah, I, I noticed it's actually easy to do, but what is coming up is that I know that when we're practicing generosity, we should be uh, peaceful and content before we give, while we give and after we give. But actually what is coming up for me that after I have given is that I feel guilty that I didn't give more.
1: Okay. So this is where you just need to be observant of where you are in your practice, that based on what money you have available and based on the amount of giving that you're able to give, that this is what you're able to give. If you truly feel like you could give more and you're holding back, then okay, you know, then maybe you need to perhaps increase your generosity in these situations a bit more. But one of the things that we talked about is in order to break through that wall where you're finding it hard to practice generosity is to give small amounts more frequently so that you know, you're know you maybe putting quarter, 50 cents, or a dollar. And here in Thailand, of course, 5 baht, 10 baht, 20 baht rather than where maybe you would give larger amounts. You should look at your totality of your generosity, that it's, yes, it's money. That's something that you need to be willing to give and share. But there's also your time, your effort, your energy, and other resources as well. So you can look at your practice of generosity as being all-encompassing in multiple things. So if you're finding that you are feeling guilty for the amount that you're giving in certain situations, then continue to do this and get to the point where while you're giving, you know that that guilt is gonna arise, so cut off the craving. Try to find it as a bodily sensation. Try to be aware of that bodily sensation and cut it off because there's some craving there. Maybe you're craving to give more, or maybe you really can give more and you're just not, perhaps. This is something that you have to evaluate for yourself but you need to be able to put the mind in that situation multiple times and get it to the point where you're observing the bodily sensation associated with the craving, desire, attachment, and the discontentedness that is arising and cut it off as a bodily sensation so the mind doesn't experience the guilt.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, I will have to investigate what's, what's truly going on there. Mm-hmm. Thank you for pointing out the directions uh, which it could be going. Um, so that I can see
1: what's happening there. Yes, Whenever you're welcome. Whenever there's discontentedness, it's always going to be craving, desire, attachment. And guilt is a form of discontentedness. So if there's craving, desire, attachment, there's going to be a discontentedness that arises. And if discontentedness is arising as a feeling in the mind, there is a bodily sensation that is occurring that you may or may not be aware of. It's definitely occurring, but the mind just might not be aware of it. So the more that you slow the mind down as part of breathing mindfulness meditation, the amount of time that you'll have access to that bodily sensation arising will get longer and longer. It'll elongate. I've seen these bodily sensations when I first started, you know, they were very quick and very rapid. But of course, even when I first started, I wasn't even aware of them. But then they were very quick and very rapid. And then as you slow the mind down, they elongate, you know, five seconds, eight seconds, 10 seconds, and then it becomes a feeling in the mind. So as you accumulate your benefits of breathing mindfulness meditation, you'll should start noticing that you're more aware of the bodily sensations and that they get elongated for longer periods of time, which gives you more opportunity to cut them off and let them go. This is with all discontentedness you would like to do this, not just with the guilt associated with giving, is that as you're aware of that bodily sensation, that you cut it off and let it go. And pay really close attention since you've refined it to the point where you know when you give there's guilt that is arising. You can try to observe that bodily sensation and then redirect the mind if you need to, right? As soon as you give to something, you can redirect the mind and take it somewhere else. Don't allow the mind even the opportunity to experience the guilt. So like say you're at a public space where you're just giving like 10 baht to one of those places where you drop change in. And if you're noticing guilt there, Just drop the change and then immediately to redirect your mind somewhere else. Don't allow yourself to sit there and look and dwell on the fact that you only gave 10 baht. Redirect the mind right away to something else and move on to the next thing. This trains the mind that you're giving the money and you're letting it go. And now you're moving on to something else and having let go of what it is that you're giving.
3: Thank you very much. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I'm often I'm stunned with how often I ask apparently the same question and you point me to the same thing again and it just takes a long time to really sink into the mind that this is what I need to be doing, like in really every situation. But uh, yeah, eventually it's going to stick. Thank you for the patience.
1: Yeah, no worries. This is common. A student needs to be regularly reminded of the teachings. I've had one particular student that's been studying with me for many, many years. I'm sure they've asked this one particular question at least 10 to 15 times because they just needed it. And rather than letting them know like you asked that question last week, you're asking it again. I just answer the question every single time. And now I'm at a point where they haven't asked that question for probably a good 6 to 9 months. So I think that they've actually got it now where Early on, when they were first learning, they would seem to be asking this one particular question almost every other week or so. So this is very normal that the mind has to be constantly reminded because remember, it's got pollutions in there and it's difficult because the mind is polluted. It's hindered with its memory. So even though you're reading, even though you're attending classes, even though you're getting personal guidance, as you're learning these things, the things don't sometimes stick because that pollution's in there so as you're progressing in your practice in the pollution starting to lift more and more then as you're hearing even the same things that you've already heard multiple times eventually you've lifted out enough pollution where now there's more memory developed and you can start remembering certain things more readily and this is where you'll see that the mind will really make a lot of progress as you get to the point where a lot of this pollution has lifted your memory will be more honed and more sharp but you're still working towards that so i'm fine to answer these questions and keep directing you to the same thing and that's just completely fine for me so as long as you're learning and you're dedicated and diligent to learning i'll keep teaching you
3: thank you very much thank you
1: you're welcome all right i'm going to make one more pass through the social media locations and see if i can locate any questions that might be asked i see ma yulai ma yulai put her name in here for me yes it's a last name ma yulai i think i'm pronouncing that right based on how you spelled it now thank you for that that really helps if i hear it that would really help as well but uh thank you for helping me learn how to pronounce your name so i'll just end class by thanking all of you guys for attending whether you're attending live or you're listening to this on one of the replays it was really nice to meditate with you guys and share some of the teachings of the buddha as you guys ask questions feel free to ask these questions in the facebook group ask questions in class send a private message or schedule personal guidance i'm always pleased to help you guys as you need guidance on the path to enlightenment the next class that we're going to be teaching in the group learning program is chapter 19 which is this sunday It's titled The Difficult Human Existence, Sickness, Aging, and Death. This is where you're going to learn a bit about the life story of Gautama Buddha and these very challenging experiences that human beings have, which is sickness, aging, and death. These are ultimately motivators that helped the Buddha who wasn't a Buddha yet, but helped motivate him to actually move to enlightenment, but also there are certain challenges that the human mind experiences when we're going through sickness, aging, and death. So not only am I going to share with you the life story of Gautama Buddha and help you understand a bit of that, because There's certain lessons that you can learn for your practice based on what he experienced during his life. But then also we're going to be talking about sickness, aging, and death so that you can understand better how to practice during these important times because you can be generating unwholesome karma during the times when you're sick or you're aging or near death. And what you would like to do is extinguish unwholesome kama. So during these challenging times, if you're producing unwholesome kama, it will create more challenges for you to get to enlightenment. So it's important that you understand those big events of sickness, aging, and death so that you can be sure you're only generating wholesome kama during those times. And then, of course, next Wednesday, we'll be doing loving kindness meditation together. And as I was mentioning before we started answering questions, is the group learning program is going to be restarting from the very beginning in about two months. We're going to be restarting on the 13th of August. So if you've either joined us midway through or somewhere here at the end or you're just learning about this group learning program, no worries, you can continue to learn here at the end of this group learning program and we're gonna be restarting all the way from the beginning, starting on the 13th of August, which is two months from now. And some students might decide to continue and repeat the group learning program. Other people might be starting it for the very first time or you might decide to also add in or move to the Polycanon and English study group, which is taught on Saturdays. So those are all options, and we'll talk about those in more detail as we get closer to the end of this group learning program. And if you have friends or family that are interested in learning, this might be a good time to give them a heads up that our group learning program is restarting on the 13th of August, and it would be an ideal time for them to start with us as well. So thank you all for joining. For today's class, and we'll see you guys in one of these future classes. Have a very wonderful and lovely rest of your day. Sawadiha.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddha